does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Welcome back to the fan. Alongside Brendan King, I am Jimmy Cook. Happy Tuesday to you wherever you are listening. Peter Hood joined us bottom of last hour. Talk a little bit about the Colts from the local coverage perspective and the direction that they're headed. We now head over to West 56th Street's coverage of the Colts. The the internal action, the internal side of things. One of our favorite guests Casey Avalier, the radio coordinator and in-game host here on 93.5107.5, the fan of the Colts radio network. You can follow him on Twitter at Colts. Casey, I hate to do this, but Eddie played the rejoiner song, not me. If life is a highway, this car wrecked uh, somewhere uh, on the <laughs> on the trip up to Minnesota and then some. Uh, I'm glad you – I know you were here, so you weren't a part of that uh, – wreck but uh from afar your observations from the uh, greatest comeback in nfl history uh that's a that's a tough one uh thanks for having me guys Uh, um and i love the the tee up question you just gave me i I think it's shock i mean to be completely honest um you go on a halftime up 33 nothing and i and i do the halftime show and it was I mean, everything you would expect, it's it's all Colts. You know, you're, you're looking at the box score. You're trying to find what the storyline is on, you know, where the second half is going to go. And, and all you could look at is that the Colts dominated every, I mean, every phase of the game. And the only thing that I looked at that the Colts could have done better was instead of settling for field goals, you know, trying to put those in as touchdowns. But besides that, you thought, wow, the second half is going to be, if it's even a fraction of what the first half is like, you're walking out of Minnesota and they're they're having to go another week to win the division, and then all of a sudden you end up where you are. It was absolute shock. I mean, there was no other words to describe it. I was I was pretty blown away and speechless, and yeah, it was it was wild. Casey, it's BK. Hope you're enjoying the holidays with the family. Uh, is there something in terms of crunch time? fourth quarter dramatic moments for for this team that just has not clicked to you this year or is it something else you know it, it, it there's definitely something to be said there i mean if you look at you know you look at the way this team has closed you look at the you know the one score games you know flip it to minnesota i mean that was their their 10th their 10 and 0 in one score games and when you look at playoff teams that's where it comes down to um and the colts have been in a lot of one score games and they just have been on the wrong side of a lot of them. So, yeah, that comes down to crunch time. That comes down to what you're doing execution-wise. But there's just so many so many mistakes in a game that I'm a big proponent in momentum, and that's what it seems like. It seems like the Colts have had a lot of momentum early in games, but then when you flip it to you know the latter half, that momentum has kind of shifted, and it's hard to shift that back in the right direction. So I think that's what it is. It's kind of a, a cumulative thing that throughout the course of the game, the momentum just kind of goes up and down, and it's going down at the wrong times. Casey, the news coming out today, the Colts are putting John Taylor on injured reserve. It ends a you know, a disappointing campaign on his front. It obviously it kind of signalizes not just the end of his season, but just anywhere you want to go with 
this being a little bit of a letdown year for him, but also accepting the fact that the line, as it failed a number of different people this year, let him down in some areas. Uh, what will your takeaways be from this season for JT, and, and where do you expect the biggest improvement or the biggest focus for him to be this offseason? Uh, it's a, I mean, definitely a disappointment. I mean, you look at a guy who, I mean, everybody was thinking maybe this year he could run for 2,000 yards. Right. You know, maybe, the, I mean, that was that was where it was. And everybody was talking about, you know, if, if Jonathan Taylor runs for, you know, twelve to 1,400 yards, that's a success because they're balanced and all of this. And it just never, it never accumulated to what you wanted. I mean, he starts the year off with 161 yards against Houston and finishes the year with 861. So if you do the math, that's just 600 yards from week two on. And that right there just isn't getting it done. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's tough because we just heard from, we just heard from the coordinators and Parks Frazier talked about how, you know, not only is it frustrating for Jonathan, it's frustrating for everybody because it's one of those things that, you know, the talent, you know, it's all there. And, you know, they all want to do their part to get him these, you know, these spots where, I mean, he, this guy's electric. You want to get him rolling. And when you're not able to, to get that all happening, everybody takes blame. Everybody feels bad for it. So it's, it's one of those things that I'm sure there's going to be a conscious effort to try to figure out, hey, what do we have to do next year to make sure that he is the most pivotal part of this offense? Because that's what he was last year. Now, I know you were on the outside looking in last year, but you had so many opportunities with what he did to get you to where you wanted to be. Casey, with the opportunity now at running back for specifically three guys, Deion Jackson, Zach Moss, and then Jordan Wilkins coming up from the practice squad, can you kind of compare and contrast those guys and the chances they have sort of to speak a, to make a name for themselves? Because Deion Jackson, right, has kind of risen from a special teams type of guy. We've seen his ability to catch passes out of the backfield this year. Zach Moss came over in the trade for Hine from Buffalo. He's trying to get his career on track. He's still only 25. And then, really, it's a second chance at life almost, Casey, for Jordan Wilkins after he played a yeah. lot with Phillip Rivers and now came back to this organization. So can you just compare and contrast the opportunities that all three of those guys have for themselves? now yeah I think I think all three of them offer you a little different um, they, they all have you know different traits that you know can can give you different uh, you know offensive opportunities with with a guy like Deion Jackson as you mentioned he is that kind of pets pass catching back you saw what he did in Denver um, the, the, the first time um, this season that he had more opportunity for you know a, a good bulk of the carries and he's a guy that this team targeted I mean they they went after him last year he had a really good training camp and then this year he beat out Philip Lindsay, who is an established running back in this league, for that third spot along with Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines. And then Zach Moss, I thought what you saw on Saturday was a guy who is a downhill runner. He can kind of be, you know, a little bit more of your power back. Um, and I thought he looked pretty good on Saturday. He had a lot of carries. I know when you look at the yards per carry and the amount that he had, it wasn't great. But I think what he offered, he he gave you that stability that you can give this guy 20-plus carries and he's going to be able to move the football. And then for Jordan Wilkins, uh, you know, the, Jordan Wilkins has always been one of those guys I've never really understood his career in the NFL because I want to say he's averaging about four and a half yards per carry. Right. It seems like anytime he gets the football, he's, he has the ability to make a play. Um, so that is something that... I'm anxious to see him get that opportunity because he seems to be a guy that kind of answers the bell anytime it's he's asked. Um, so I'm I'm really excited for Jordan. 
I was really excited when he came back because he was one of those guys in the locker room, always with a big smile on his face, always willing to talk, just a really, really good guy. Um, so we were all really excited to get him back and just kind of get him, his NFL career, maybe back, start a little jump start to it just to get another chance because he's proven that he can be a guy that, you know, he's not going to be an every down back, but he's a guy that can get the job done when you need it. Casey Vallier taking some time with us today. Buy the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop in Fishers for all your residential commercial mowers as well as snow blowers, power tools, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at themotorshop.com or the Motor Shop in Fishers. Casey Vallier joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at C. Vallier Colts, radio coordinator and in-game studio host for your Indianapolis Colts. Casey, when you walk around West 56th and you look at where expectations were, even as recently as a couple weeks ago, to where they are now, you and I both know that nobody's laying down. There's people still fighting for jobs, fighting for their their NFL lives, not just with the Colts, but potentially elsewhere next season. But within the front office, there has to be at least some type of, I would think, acceptance that this season, barring a miracle of all miracles, is likely over. Has that influenced anything in your mind where this team wants to observe key position spots, both on offense and defense, these final three weeks as the reality of no playoffs kind of sets in? I don't, I haven't seen anything like that yet. Um, now I'm not saying that that hasn't happened right. or we, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, with this week being a little bit longer because you don't play until Monday, there, there might be more questions that will start to come up later in the week when we start hearing more. We start seeing practice. The guys are off today. Um, we heard from Jeff Saturday yesterday, but we won't hear again from it. So there may be some other things that might change this week as we get a little later. Um, but as of right now, I think they're still planning status quo. Go with, you know, try, trying to get a win. I don't think anybody here is going to lay down, even if they are eliminated. Right. A lot of the, I mean, these players, they, they have no idea what's, what's, what's coming up in a month. You know, they have no idea where they're going to be. So for them, they could care less if the draft pick is at four or if it's at 12 because right. they're fighting for their futures. The GM, everybody's looked at, you know, very, it's magnified right now. When you're having a rough season, everybody's getting evaluated. So you want to put the best thing forward on tape and all that. I know the fans don't like to hear that because you're looking to get your next franchise quarterback or whatever that might be. But, that inside this building, I'm telling you, all these guys, they're they're doing everything they, everything that they can to go out and win. Now I know that hasn't really accumulated to much. I mean, they've lost a handful of games. I think it's seven of their last eight. It's been a it's been a rough stretch, but I mean, everything that we have seen is everybody is still putting their best foot forward to go out and try to figure out how to beat the Chargers this week. Casey, right along that same wavelength, an opportunity to play spoiler on Monday, the day after Christmas, and I know there are. No moral wins in the NFL. I mean, you either win or lose. That's the biz. But the ability to play spoiler, does that give any extra juice to the team? Because you need some form of excitement after what happened in Minnesota. I would think it would have to. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm a guy that I'm not going to say I was a, I was a gifted athlete or any of that, but you know, I, I played uh, I played baseball my entire life, and 
there was a little bit of that when I played. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. You, you love being that underdog. You love going in and being like, ha, look what I just did to you. Like, everybody here, you're fighting for, for, for pride and all of that. And if you can go in and you can give the Chargers a loss and all of a sudden they're having to fight and scratch for one of those final playoff spots and it's because of something that you did under the national spotlight where there's nobody else watching, everybody can watch you. I mean, that's there's a lot to be said there. Um, and, and I know that these guys, they do – want to play well in front of their fans. There's nothing better than a raucous Lucas Oil Stadium cheering on a win, especially under Monday Night Lights. So that's that's got to all play into it. And you play against a guy in Justin Herbert who is, you know, one of these up-and-coming top five quarterbacks in the league. I think that might, that has to give everybody up. You want to play spoiler. You want to have them scratch and claw to try to get into that final playoff spot. And if you can, you know, kind of play spoiler, that's got to get you up for sure. Casey, I'm sorry that uh, me and BK are kind of repping the old good cop, bad cop routine, as it were. But uh, in that similar vein, there's been maybe not necessarily from the Colts publicly, but there's been acknowledgement over the last five years, the lack of primetime games for this organization. And then this year they finally get primetime home games. I, I should correct that. There's this year they finally gotten a host of them over the course of the year just from a pride standpoint we talk about the fact that you know people are fighting for their jobs we talk about the fact that no one's going to lay down like you and BK mentioned and also the thrill of playing the role of spoiler and having something to to fight for but how much pressure is also within the Colts not just this season but just from a perception standpoint of this is also another opportunity that if we don't show up we get embarrassed at home on Monday Night Football 100%. And that that's that might be I mean ultimately one of the, the biggest factors that goes into this because you know, you, you you got two Monday night home football games this year. The first one goes to a Steelers team that you fall to. So here's your second opportunity. You want to be able to play well under these lights. You got to win on Thursday night football against the Broncos, but you lost to the Cowboys on Sunday night. You lost to the, the you know the Steelers on Monday Night Football. So here's another opportunity in front of the entire national audience watching football. It's got to be there. That's one of those things that in order to continue to get these opportunities, you have to show that you can go out and play. Now, I know a lot of it goes into your roster and all of that stuff, but it also goes into the success you have when you get those opportunities. It's it's a stat that it doesn't matter who's playing. It seems like they always have a, oh, this guy does this on Monday Night Football. So that's what it, it all matters. Um, and I know for a guy, like let's say Matt Ryan. I mean, this guy has been playing in the NFL for a long time. But I'm telling, I'm, I guarantee you if I asked him tomorrow, does Monday Night Football mean anything else? He would say, oh, absolutely it means more. So these guys definitely want to go out there and definitely from a Colts franchise perspective, you want to get as many Monday Night Football games as you possibly can and you want to go out and you want to win those games. So definitely Monday is a huge game for this franchise, for these players, for these coaches. It, it means a lot more, I think, than just the game of football on Monday, to be honest. Casey, one of the conversations over the last couple days has been the offensive line continues to get battle-tested by some of the most elite pass rushers in the National Football League, and that will not change with the Chargers, obviously. So fries and and Ryman, I mean, it almost feels like, Casey, a thrown-into-the-fire type of deal, and that's how some guys learn. So just your thoughts on, once again, the young guys on the offensive line not getting any breaks when it comes to who's coming at them on Monday. Now, now let's let's be honest. This is the uh, the National Football League. There are a lot of really good defensive players on every team, but it it does seem like the stretch they've had. It is you know 
bona fide Pro Bowl guys week in and week out. And you mentioned a guy in Bernard Ryman. I don't know if, you know, there, there's a lot of people who are, you know, for or against PFF grades, but since he's taken over as left tackle, he has really, really played well for this Colts team. I know when you look at it, you know, they're still in the bottom half when it comes to sacks allowed and all of that stuff. But Bernard Ryman has really played well. So for the Colts, they're looking at him, and you got a guy in Khalil Mack that's going to be facing up. I don't know where – I haven't really watched too much of the Chargers defensively on whether or not Khalil is on one side or the other. I know – I'm not sure where the where the Bosa injury is on all of that, so that might affect things. Um, but, but he's a guy who is a perennial – just a threat in the backfield. So for a guy you mentioned, Will Fries, I'm sure he'll have to chip. He'll have to do all he can as well. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely going to be a big test. But I think to this point, Bernard Ryman has lived up to the bill. He has played very, very well. And Will Fries, since he stepped in at right guard, has he solidified that spot. And I think right now this five that you're seeing, they're really playing pretty well. They've been able to allow the running game to kind of get going. I know it's not nearly what we've seen in years past. Past, but the running game has been better over the last handful of weeks. Um, prior to this past game, Jonathan Taylor had a streak of five straight games with 75 yards on the ground, which was the longest active streak in the NFL. So that definitely says something. Um, but it, it's all about you know what you do for me lately, and their lately is going to be tested on Monday for sure because this Chargers team is hungry. They're looking to continue to boost their playoff position. Um, so it's definitely going to be a tested line, and we'll see how these young guys can handle it. Casey, I know this will be a better question for you in the offseason, so I'll, I'll just table it with half of this, which is that Justin Herbert, a quarterback that's drafted by the team he's playing for, look at the AFC, almost every playoff contender in there except for Ryan Tannehill has a quarterback for a team that uh, was drafted by them. So I, yeah. I'm not going to get into that until the offseason, but I do want to shift gears to one of those quarterbacks and look at the South. Uh, you're uh, broadcast partner, the great Greg Rakestraw, was on with us yesterday, and he kind of highlighted, which I agree with him, the Colts have to worry about the Colts. There's nothing that they can control outside of their building. They need to worry about fixing their operation, but you're not in the front office. You don't have to worry about that. When you look at the South, the current state of it right now, and you look at the leap the Jaguars have taken this year, the fact they might actually win the South this year, uh, <laughs> right. where, where does that put them in your mind, and what does that say about the overall positioning of the Colts in the South heading into this offseason if we if we sim it out three weeks from now? It's bizarre, man. Um, one of the things that I, I want to say that I was talking actually with you, Jimmy, um, before the season started, and we said that Tennessee and the Colts are in a class above, above definitely Tennessee and Jacksonville, but Jacksonville had used their draft capital and they had started to really show that they had some pieces and Houston is going to have a handful of picks as they, you know, over the next couple of years to kind of benefit their roster. So it was important for both Tennessee and the Colts to kind of solidify those veterans and also mix in the youth to continue to build their roster. And now you're, you're start, you're starting to see that switch actually. I mean, Tennessee looks like they're on a down spin. They've fired their GM. They've got all kinds of issues. I think they've lost four straight now. Who knows what's going on with the Tannehill Malik Willis as they move forward. And as you talk about with Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence has clearly looked like, you know, maybe he's not going to be a top five quarterback next year or the year after, but he's definitely solidified that spot for them and has that team rolling. Um, so for the Colts, it, it, it's got to make 
I don't, I don't, I don't want to say there's pressure because there's always pressure, but it definitely adds a little bit more when you look at the division and how winnable it has been. It looks like you're starting to see some of these teams kind of figure it out. So it definitely puts that pressure a little heavier to find that guy so you can solidify that part of the of the equation because as you know quarterback position is the most important position probably in all of sports so when you figure out that guy it makes you can breathe a little bit it makes everything else a little bit easier so i'm sure for the colts there's a lot of questions they're going to have over the next handful of weeks and months as we lead up to the draft and finding that guy if it's in the draft or if they go you know free agency route or if it's a guy who's here those questions are going to have to be asked but it's it's really starting to you know, a little bit more pressure is definitely starting to be added, especially when you're seeing the rookie that Jacksonville took a couple of years ago not really look like a rookie much more and look like an established guy with a Tennessee Titans team that's still – they're still fighting. So there you've got two teams that are going to be probably fighting for playoff spots for the next handful of years. You've got to be able to put yourself in that conversation as a third in this division for sure. Casey, I need your favorite Christmas movie. Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I've got I've got a couple. I mean, I love Christmas Vacation. I mean, that is that, that's a staple. Um, I also am very partial to On Christmas, watching A Christmas Story. It's one yep. of those things I grew up turning on TBS and watching the twenty four hour. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I don't know if I've actually seen the movie all the way through in over a decade, but I have seen it four or five times throughout that decade because it's on all the time. Um, it, it's it's tough. Like I, we, with the kiddos, like we watched uh, we watched Jack Frost the other day, um, and that one I remember when I was a kid. That one I always liked. But I think my favorite is probably a Santa Claus. Yes, um, great I, answer. I can, I can I can probably recite every single line from that. Now I haven't seen the spinoffs series they made this year, um, but Santa Claus for me, if you put that on, I will sit down and watch the entire movie for sure. Santa Claus too, as well. Great one. Oh, I, I yeah. they, they kind of lost me with the uh, Jack Frost number <laughs> the Jack three. Jack Frost part. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, number three was uh, a little bit of a letdown, and maybe that's why I haven't watched the series because I was like, you know, one and two were good, but then you fell off, and I don't know if I want to keep going. But definitely the the original Santa Claus. That one is uh, it's very high regard in my eyes. That's one of those that if I catch you watching it in July, I'm okay with that. You know, if you want Christmas in July, that's one I'm all right with. Do you think Home Alone's a Christmas movie? You know, I, here we go. We're going down this rabbit hole that, you know, I, I would say yes. I, I think um, so, too. That is the answer. Come agree, on, Casey. Yeah. Come on. You that know, is the answer. Yes, but, but see, I'm one of those, you know, the... I'll watch I'm it any time, though. Yeah, I, I'm also. It's gonna. It's gonna offend a lot of people. I'm like a. I'm not a big diehard fan. I didn't. Oh. I didn't care much for it. And and you people trying to put that as a Christmas movie. I'm like, you know, it kind of goes into the same. I don't know. I mean, I guess there is a premise around Home Alone that they're traveling for Christmas. So I get that. But oh, I don't know. See, I, I I go with more traditional. Like, here's legit Christmas. Christmas Eve. Christmas Day. You know what else is a really good one? Christmas Chronicles on Netflix. If you got it's kids. That one's not too bad, you know? That one's pretty good. Casey, Merry Christmas to you. Enjoy the holidays. Uh, enjoy the you movies. And uh, thanks for making time for us as always. I know we'll talk to you here as the season goes on as we get into the offseason as well, my friend. You got it. Numbers all, The phone's always ready. Merry it, Christmas, Casey. You're the best. <laughs> you guys too. That's Casey Vallier of the Colts Radio Network. You can follow him at C. Vallier Colts, the 
in-game radio host as well as the radio coordinator of the Colts Radio Network. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Colts, day after Christmas, and the Chargers. We will welcome on our good pal Mike Chappell, Fox 59 and CBS 4. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Mike... Got to address the elephant in the room because we have not gotten your thoughts yet on what was the biggest comeback in NFL history. The floor is yours. No, it was the greatest collapse in NFL history. (laughs) Let's let's make sure we give credit where it's due. I've been doing this since 84, and they always say if you stick around long enough, you'll see everything. And that's so far, that's true. You think you've seen it all, you think, well, I haven't seen that before. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's hard. You're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, this will be close at the end, but you just, you just can't lose this. You've done enough. There's not enough time. It reminded me of the, uh, sort of the Colts of Tampa Bay when they were trailed 34 to 15, uh, 34 to well, 35, 14, with like five minutes to play. And you're thinking, you can't win this because there's not enough time. And they do. So, you know, shame on the Colts. I understand it helps their their draft positioning. I understand that. But it's about winning now. It's got to be about winning now. And that's why you just have to step back and say, what are you guys doing? Chap, we want to clarify that a little bit. Me and BK have tried to hammer this point home. You know this as well as anybody because you've covered the league longer than anybody. You've covered the the Colts longer than anybody in this town. Uh, obviously, me and BK are, are 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 the are the young senators, so to speak. But we understand that this is a league where there's jobs on the line, livelihoods are on the line. Nobody's going out there and laying down like fans. And we can talk about how happy we are that the draft pick stock continues to rise, but. At the end of the day, this is still a performance-based league, and nobody's going to lay down because there might not be a future for you in this league if you do so. With that being said, you've mentioned you've seen almost everything now in this league and add that to it. Did it feel like they quit, or did it feel like they were just broken by Minnesota in that second half? Broken, broken. I I mean, you know, there were times there were broken tackles and missed tackles and bad angles and all that. I I just don't I, – I have seen very, very few games where a team, you say, man, they just laid down and died. They, they just quit. Because, again, this is what these guys do. It's what DeForest Butter and Stephon Gilmore and, and Ryan and all these guys do. And they only play 17 games. Right. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's not like baseball where it's 160-some and if you have a couple of off days or basketball – or, or you work an eight, a nine-to-five job, and, you know, Thursday you don't feel like working as hard. You play 17 games. Effort should never, ever, ever be an issue. And I don't think it was that. It, it, it was one of those where, it, it, you know, the old snowball started going down the hill and nobody could do anything to stop it. And, I, and I'm talking on offense, too. You know, as – as helpless as the defense was, and it was ridiculous, all the offense had to do is make a couple of plays. Nothing nothing 
great, nothing fantastic, no 80-yard touchdowns, but convert it fourth and inches. I mean, really, fourth and inches, and the game's over. So, and, and there were plays before that. Had they made that play, whatever it was, the game's over. So, you know, the only group I thought that was kind of had their hands in the year and said, hey, it wasn't us, was special teams. Because special teams played pretty well. They got good kick returns. They got all that stuff. Field goals, make a play. They didn't do it. I, I don't think it was effort or quitting. It was simply not making, gosh, two or three plays on either side of the ball. And then we're saying, boy, they almost, you know, miss out on it. But, but they got away with the win. And, and that's when, when you don't make those two or three plays, this is what you get. Not to this magnitude because – you know, nobody had done this before. But when you don't make plays, bad things happen. Mike Chappell is on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Eddie, can you give us the uh, fourth quarter stat outscored over the last five games again? 83-9. to Chap, is that because... They're just being outplayed. Is that because the teams are better than them? What has led to such an outrageous fourth quarter differential? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's crazy. And, you know, they've given up, what, three game winning drives during that stretch as well. So I don't know. I, if I had the answers, I'd, you know, I'd call her say and say, hey, for ten thousand dollars, I'll give you. I'll give you the answer to what your problems are, and and if they knew what they were, you know, they'd fix it too. So I don't know. It, it's it, again, it's making a stop defensively. It's crazy. I mean, they dominated, absolutely dominated the Vikings in the first half. I think the Vikings had like eighty-two yards, and it was like that in previous games as well. And it gets away from them, and when it gets away from them. They can't find a way to stop it. I was looking the last four the last four games they've given up. Forget the forget the overtime. In the last four games, fourth quarter, which which amounts to a game, it's five hundred and seventeen yards and seventy seven points in, in a game. So that's just it, it's it's crazy because I think by and large this defense has played pretty well this year i mean really so it's just it's just hard to figure out and you know until they fix it it's going to be somewhere you scratch your head and (laughs) they're quickly running out of time to fix it the dean mike chapel of fox 59 and cbs4 nice enough to take a few minutes with us here on the fan via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as power equipment, snow blowers, tools, and so much more. Motorshop.com and the Motor Shop and Fishers. You can follow Chap on Twitter at mchapel 51 and Chap up on fox59.com right now. You have a very fascinating story entitled Frank Reich has come back. Record fell, quote, wow, what's happening here? Uh, Chap, I greatly enjoyed that story, getting the former head coach of this organization not so long ago, as recently as last month, perspective on all this. Uh, to kind of go a positive note here, Chap, what does it say about just the the character and just the, the, the way that Frank Wright carries himself that the first thing on his mind as that game was unfolding was not the ha-ha point at your former team, but it was passing the torch 
to Kirk Cousins for what was Frank Reich's top line of his football resume. But that's Frank. Right. I mean, everyone knows that. It, right. It, it's, what, what's too bad is when, when Frank was let go, and even the games leading up to it, it was what, what people and the media and everybody tends to do is tear down a guy who's an awful play caller, which he's not. He's an expert play caller. But, yeah, it just shows you what he is and who he is. What was funny is uh, I was talking to him. I said, because he was, again, he's unloading boxes, and he's still trying to get settled into North, his North Carolina home. He said he goes by the TV, and he sees that it's 33 to nothing. And I said, aren't you just thinking that, boy, this one's over, or they're not going to come back? He said, no. He said, every time in the last 30 years when someone's got a 33-point lead, what he defaults to is, hey, maybe my record gets broken. Uh, but what, what was what, what's the record? What, what was the stat that was 1,548 one and one teams with 30 point lead? Yep. And so so it just doesn't happen. But he felt he felt for the players. He's very close to these guys. He still is, no question. But his point was that passing the torch, so to speak, to a Kirk Cousins, who is similarly faith-based like Frank is. And when you, one of the good things about the NFL is it gives you a platform. Not just that, but any of these players. You know, Dar- uh, Shaq Leonard or, or Larry Frank, any of these guys, and they use that they, they for whatever their cause is. And most of them have really, really good causes, and they go out of their way to support that and that's what Frank was saying is he's you know for 30 years he, he, he went to speaking engagements and he was and he was introduced as here's a guy who had the greatest comeback in college and the greatest comeback in the NFL and then he kind of can use that as a launching point to whatever his, his right. message is so but that that's Frank it, it doesn't surprise me and, you know he, he, he just has too much perspective and, and you know in emotions for this team to say well I'm glad you know, look what they did to me so that, that's what you get when you fire me that wasn't even remotely right. what he was thinking life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Chap, do you get the sense, as just a quick follow-up on Frank, do you get the sense that he wants to get back in it next year, or is he kind of happy with it just taking a break now? Oh, I think he may be to some level. He likes this, this quick break, but he wants to get back at it. I remember talking to him a day or two after, maybe it was a day after he was fired. He wants to coach again. He's a coach. Now, now whether it'll be a head coach, whether it'll be as a coordinator, I don't. I don't think he would. He would settle. I guess is the word for a, a quarterback coaching position. I, I think he's he's beyond that. He wants to coach. It's what he does. Uh, he enjoys it. He, I remember talking to him when he was fired. He said, you know, he, 
what hurt him was he wanted to be able to finish what they started. How wherever it was going to go. So he wants to coach again. I think he will coach again. Chap, you mentioned on Twitter, obviously, like a lot of us did, when the initial news about Jonathan Taylor, that he had the high ankle issue and that there was unlikely for me and Rappaport, he was going to be a part of the season the rest of the way. You tweeted, shut him down. And of course, you clarified, not Ian, but uh, JT. Now that news is official, uh, what do you look at from this running back room just in terms of an observational standpoint and where the coaching staff should be kind of observing what that room looks like the final three weeks of the season, but also what the long-term goals are for, for getting John and Taylor into a bounce-back campaign next year. Yeah, well, it's going to be Moss and Jackson. I mean, that's what right. you got. A couple guys in the practice squad. Uh, so I don't think things will change. But what changes is you, you don't have you're the, you don't have Jonathan Taylor. Right. And, you know, it, this has been a frustrating season, but he's still one of the top, gosh, what, three running backs in the league that if he were starting a team tomorrow running back-wise, he might be the guy here here. Nick Chubb is who you're starting with. So, you know, he'll get back. And, and with the high ankle sprain, there was no way he was going to come back in three games. Yeah, And it would have made no sense anyway. He's fought this thing most of the season, and you play on it, and it feels pretty good, and then you – you know, you. This was more of a tweak. This is a, another high ankle sprain, so it, it just made sense that he's done for the season. And then you, you get him back next year, and goodness, you just don't know what next year's going to be with coaching staff and players, and you know the GM. You just, you just don't know. But at least you know you've got him. The question is going to be, and I think KB wrote about it today on on your side is. What do you do? Do you go ahead and extend him? Because next, you know, next off season generally is when you extend these guys. And I don't know how. I, 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 the injury doesn't, to me, impact it at all. He's, it's an ankle sprain. It's not an ACL. So he'll come back, and if nothing else, they're going to be motivated. I guess. I mean, you know, he's not a less of a player. He's not. He's still what he was last year. It's just circumstances around him made it very difficult, impossible to duplicate that. It's Mike Chappell on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Chap, yesterday, Stephen Holder was on with JMV, and Stephen did not say in any way that JT sat this year because of the injuries and wanting to put himself in a position to be paid, but he did bring up the thought that Taylor has never really missed practice or game in his high school, college, or pro career to that point, and it was, at the end of the day, his decision at times to not play due to the ankle, and Stephen brought up possibly it could be that JT knows the position he is and um, he's, he wants to get his money. So do you see any truth to that at all, that maybe it was financially related that Taylor did not risk further injury with the ankle at times? I, I, I guess. I, I guess, but if it's an ankle sprain, it, that's two to four weeks anyway. I, so, I don't mean – I meant like earlier in the year. Oh, uh, I, I, maybe. But I, I think if you if, – if, I always get the impression that if he's ready to play, he's going to play – I thought he came back maybe the, the, the first time too soon. Uh, but I tell you, as a player, you've got to look after yourself. You do because, you know, I, as bad as it sounds at some level, teams will will use you and then they will discard you. 
and that's probably more so at running back. As a running back, you've got to really maximize what you've got and understand that a lot. I remember back in the with Bill Poling, it was always the idea that running backs were like good for four or five years, and then you got another one, which is what he did with Edgerin. Uh, so, so yeah. I don't know if JT sat a game or whatever. He only, he only missed three games. Uh, practices, I don't worry about. I mean, a guy misses practice, I don't worry about that anymore. But I, I kind of thought the three games he missed were games that he just wasn't ready. I thought one was on a short week. So, But, but again, it, it, at the bottom, the player does what's best for himself because the, the team, you know, the team's not going to put you out there and risk injury, further injury. But they want you out there more than they don't want you out there. So if I'm a player, I'm looking out for myself. And I'm looking out for, you know, later in the season. I'm looking out for next season. So, you know, other than that, I'm not sure what went into JT missing a couple of games other than it was a high ankle. Chap, we were having a discussion earlier regarding – Jim Irsay's extension of Ballard and Reich and the fact that even though you know Jim Irsay is obviously a very wealthy man, that sometimes looking at numbers and figures like that of where mistakes have been, it can be tough to bite the bullet and eat it. Uh, in your mind, regardless of what the decision ends up being with Ballard by the end of the season, is, is money anywhere a worry on Jim Irsay's mind? I, I mean that as in to say if a decision had to be made, is money an object in terms of admitting a mistake and moving on? You mean like getting rid of Chris Bauer? Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, in that example, yes. I'm not saying they're going to. Yeah. I'm just saying, would that prevent him from doing it? Probably not. I mean, but we're talking big money. What Frank gets, what was the report? Uh, $9 million a year over the next four years? Sure. That's. I mean, that's that's a lot of guitars. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but, I, but, but I think if, if Ursay decides that he's got to make a move at, at – general manager, he'll do it. And, and keep in mind that if he goes and, and really addresses the head coach and just say Jim Harbaugh, right? well, that's going to be expensive. <laughs> sure, yeah. Expensive. So, but I, but I, I think he'll find a way to make it work. Again, ha- having the cash has always been an issue with a small market team, even though you know, Jim Irsay is very wealthy. That's that's big money, but I don't. I just don't think money will. I don't think he won't make a move because of money. Because to do that, you're you're impeding the progress of your franchise. He'll do what he has to do, and then figure out the money after that. Last thing I had for you, Chap, as we enter in uh, Monday Night Football day after Christmas, and we we close into these final three weeks of the season. From your perspective. What are you monitoring the most, or what's the important, the most important thing you need to see out of this team over these final three weeks? Uh, and where do you feel the front office and just the staff in general need to see the biggest improvements, regardless of if the playoffs are on the table or not? I'd like to see Bernard Ryman still make improvements. I, I think he's played pretty well over the last, I don't know, month, whatever. I mean, he makes an occasional mistake, but. Watch watch games over during the week and left tackles. A bunch of them making mistakes. So this isn't just Bernard. 
uh, I'd like to see what I want to see is what are they going to do at quarterback? Are they going to leave Ryan out there? Are they going to make a change? And can they just be competent on offense? And to this point, they've not been. So just show something you haven't shown to this point. But why would we expect there to be something different now? I don't know. Mike Chappell's with us, talking all things Colts. Chap, appreciate the time. Hope you and the family have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Chap. You too, guys. See you, Chap. Mike Chappell's with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We are going to get the scoop on the NBA. Eddie Garrison with the right tunes. We'll welcome on Nick Friedel, NBA reporter on a national level from ESPN. Nick covers the Brooklyn Nets. He's had some stops across the country. I grew up reading this stuff as a high schooler in the Chicago suburbs when he covered the Bulls. And Nick and I actually met when Lance Stevenson dropped 20 points in the first quarter against the Nets when I believe, Nick, that was the first time ever that Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie all played together. And then Lance drops 20 in the first quarter. Unreal. <laughs> what a moment. To, uh... What a moment. To 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 have remembered and have us enjoyed, buddy. I mean, I I look back at that game and I think that was my first road game covering the Nets full time, <laughs> and it was the Lance show, uh, at least in the beginning. So a lot has happened in between, but it's good to be with you. Good to be with you, Nick. Well, the story of the day, at least on the West Coast, Nick, the Phoenix Suns have a new owner. Matt Ishbia from Michigan State, who went to three Final Fours, won a national championship. Four billion bucks, Nick. What are your thoughts on the Suns going up for sale and having a new owner? All I could think when I saw that Woj tweet was all the own, the rest of the owners in the league just going, hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're seeing the Suns go for four billion, then I can only imagine what the top, top-tier teams in the league, the Warriors, the Knicks, the Nets, as I stand here right in front of Barclays Center at the moment, they've got to be just going nuts because the amount of money that is coming into the league, the new TV deal is on the horizon here in the next year, year and a half or so. This is a really good time financially to be involved with the NBA. And I think this today with this news is just the latest example of that. Nick, it's not often that you see this happen in midseason, let alone with a team that is a true contender with the Suns. When you look at as this process gets finalized, does that impact any of the, not just the day-to-day operations, but as we get closer to the deadline, if the Suns are a team, they're looking to add a piece as they continue pursuit of the Larry O'Brien trophy? I'm sure that it will have some kind of impact. Now, just how big remains to be seen. But, guys, if, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan right now, given uh, the ups and downs, mostly a lot of downs in, in the Sarver reign, if you see this news and you see that 
the, the person who's coming in is worth billions upon billions, you've got to feel good because what any fan wants is for ownership to spend. And in this new era of the league, with the amount of money that is coming in, with the owners that have uh, purchased teams over the last decade or so, that's what this is. It's just who can spend the most, who can build the best team and back that up financially day after day, year after year. So I'm sure it will have some kind of impact. But if you're the son, especially in that locker room, you've got to feel good that the money will be spent when you need it to. Nick Friedel is with us, NBA reporter for ESPN, directly covering the Brooklyn Nets. Nick, here locally in Indy, the Nets and the Pacers have had some interesting times together this year. You think about the back-to-back in Brooklyn and Steve Nash being fired after a loss to the Pacers, then Nets getting Indiana back. Just your thoughts on what has been quite the interesting time for Brooklyn through the first, let's call it, two months of the season. <laughs> uh, I have lived it day to day, and I still can't fully believe that I've seen and heard all the things that have occurred. But specific to that series, guys, uh, and having just been in Indianapolis a few days ago, I can't believe Brooklyn won that game when they were sitting everybody, and and the Pacers couldn't find a way to pull that one out. But I will say this about the group, not only with Halliburton and, and what we've seen uh, in his development, but that team plays hard. Rick Carlisle historically has gotten his teams to play hard, but this team specifically, I mean, just watched them several times, obviously, in the last few weeks. They're a tough team. I like the way Matherin plays. I like the way that that group seems to be coming together behind the scenes. But as we know, if you play hard in the NBA every night, you're going to win – a lot more games than people think just because a lot of these teams don't play hard every night. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they do kind of walk through uh, the game plans and go through the motions at times. And if you are a young team that has that type of culture that is set where you know what you're getting from the group every night, you're going to be in a good place. So I like the way that India is coming together. It remains to be seen, of course. As I know you guys talk about all the time what they're going to do with Miles Turner, what they're going to do with some of these other veteran pieces, which direction they're going to go. But when you have a team that is out there every night and you know what they're getting from an effort standpoint, usually that means you're in a pretty good place. Nick, as we shift back towards your neck of the woods with the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, you look at the last just two seasons, let alone just the last six or eight months with all the ups and downs, the, 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 the everything with Kyrie, with KD demanding a trade, Yet somehow here they are now into December and are a four seed right now. The East is so balanced to a point that a good run over any given stretch of the calendar is going to help you rise those ranks. How did we get here with Brooklyn and how is it that things appear to be? Sure, there's been some comebacks the last couple of matchups, but things appear to be smiles right now in Brooklyn. I think the reason why, at least in these last few weeks, with the way they've been playing, is because they have hit this very soft part of the schedule. And they're taking care of the teams that they need to take care of. And, and guys, that doesn't always happen <laughs> in the league for all the reasons we just outlined there uh, before. But uh, the Nets, the drama around this team was so bad a few weeks ago with the Kyrie social media posts and the losses that had piled up early. 
with the focus being back on basketball for now, and with the fact that they've won games, everything is okay. Now, do I think that they're a championship caliber team? No, I don't. One of the reasons why this group has the record that it has, and it's one six straight and 10 of 11, is not only did the schedule get soft, but when you go back and look at the teams that they did play, those teams, a lot of them, were missing either one or two or three of their very key guys. And they took advantage of it. And that's a credit to, to Jacques Vaughn and the staff and, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been awesome, especially KD, who's playing like the MVP. But I don't view what's happened with the Nets here over these last few weeks as a sign of what's to come. I think this team is still figuring out plenty of different things on a, on a variety of levels. And they're trying to uh, kind of make way with what they got in the moment, trying to work Ben Simmons back in. But this is a good team. I just don't think this is a championship-type team that we're going to be talking about later in the season. Nick, first, that New York traffic sounds brutal today, all those horns going on behind you. Uh, but sec- It never stops here, guys. I it can imagine. Crazy. I can imagine. But what are they missing, Nick? Is it something that they're missing on the court, or is it just the culture of what they have in that locker room just doesn't gel? I think the big part is that they just don't have the pieces that you would need to win consistently in the playoffs. Uh, and specifically, look, Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant. He's awesome. When Kyrie's on the floor and he's focused and locked in, he's still great. And I think Simmons is starting to find his way a little bit more, although uh, I'm still hesitant to think that he's going to get back to the level he was at in Philly night after night after night. The larger problem is when you go back towards the end of the roster or even in a potential playoff rotation, let's look at a guy like Nick Claxton. He's the young big man that they signed over the summer, or I should say extended over the summer, and he's playing well. But if he gets into any kind of foul trouble, they don't have that extra guy that they're going to be able to lean on. They've used Simmons at that center spot. Maybe that could get you through uh, a half or, or some minutes here or there, but they don't have that, that extra big man to turn to. On top of the fact that uh, I mean, you guys are obviously very familiar with T.J. Warren. He's still coming off a foot injury. Seth Curry and Joe Harris have had some good nights, but they're coming off serious ankle injuries in the last year. I just don't think the pieces are such that they're going to be able to find their way through the course of two months of the postseason. But if I've learned anything covering this team, it's that anything (laughs) truly is possible. And when you have Kevin Durant playing at the level that he's playing at, we all know that there is no team in the league that's going to want to see them if and when the time comes in the playoffs. Nick, I know you mentioned that you've got an opportunity covering the Nets to see a lot of the Pacers over the last month or so. When you look at the national pulse on this Indiana team, you mentioned it's up in the air what they're going to do at the deadline, particularly with Miles Turner. But you look at the young pieces they have, guys like Andrew Nemhard, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin. Well, what is the, the national impression uh, of where the Pacers are at and what they're trying to build over at Gambridge Fieldhouse? Uh, the biggest thing is that good times are ahead. And when you have the type of pieces in place that they do, and you have Carlisle who has won at the highest level and he knows how he wants to build the team, I think the future is bright. 
And certainly in the first couple months of this season, I don't think anybody expected to see the Pacers winning some of the games that they've already won to date. So it all depends on first and foremost health, but continuing to build through the draft. And, and again, we're going to see which lane they, they go through. I mean, I feel like, guys, we've been talking about Miles Turner and where he may land for like two or three years. Yeah, yes. Like every year, is Miles Turner going to stay? Or you know, what kind of draft picks are coming back in return? And where is he going to land? We're finally maybe going to find out that question. But as far as those younger pieces, especially Mather, and I, I just like the way that, that he approaches things. I think that was a really solid pick. But it's like everything else. You can have some solid pieces in place, but you've got to fill out the rest of your rotation and feel good about where it's going. If you're a Pacers fan right now, though, you've got to feel good about the future uh, and the possibilities there, especially with the way uh, that that Halliburton has developed, uh, at least in these last couple years. So uh, everything is still a question mark, as it always is, when you're kind of on the fringe and building your way through to another era, but having just watched them a lot, I like what I see from the Pacers, and I think there are a lot of good days in their future ahead. Nick, last thing on the Pacers, again, as Jimmy just said, from a national perspective, what's the story that you guys think on Kevin Pritchard and his ability to make these trades and now draft well over the last couple years? Because he had to pull off the Paul George trade. He had to pull off the Victor Oladipo trade. Then he pulled off getting Tyrese Halliburton from the Kings for Sabonis at really maybe the most sell-high point that you could on Sabonis. Just what have you thought about Pritchard pairing those trades that have led up you know, five years to now these draft picks that are starting to hit? The, the track record's there. I mean, that, when you're trying to build a team and you're looking at different teams across the league, and certainly I, I see the Pacers on a, a regular basis, but I'm not following it day to day. But with what Pritchard has done, you've got to have faith that he has the ability to make things work. And when you start hitting on some of these trades, and even more importantly, guys, as we know, when you're hitting on the picks, <laughs> there is nothing that gives a fan base and an organization in the NBA more leeway than when you start hitting on these draft picks consistently. When that happens and you're finding different players at, at, at different points in, in the draft and then you've got other teams going, hey, uh, you know, what would it take to get this guy? That's when you know that the front office structure that is there uh, is sound. And if you're Pritchard and, and you've, you've done this before and you've started to hit with the pieces that you have on this roster, again, it's positive. And if you're a Pacers fan, I know that there have been some some dark days and they've been off the radar here for a while, especially since after George left. But when you see it coming together again and you see that you know, you've know you got control of, of what happens in these next couple deals, especially if, if Turner ends up getting you some more picks down the line, I would feel good about where they're going, and I feel like the structure that has been put in place already would lead me to believe that they're not going to mess things up in the future. Nick Friedel from ESPN with us. Nick, last thing, as I said, you were a longtime ESPN Chicago guy, read your stuff in high school on the Bulls and D. Rose and everything. So being in Chicago for as long as you were, what ended up being your favorite pizza spot in Chicago? <laughs> I Big questions. I was a Pequod guy. Ah, great choice. 
I like Pequod's. I, I was never one for all the deep dish, and I know my friends back in Chicago were like, oh, come on. You know, everybody had their own place. But I did not like the the casserole pizza that, that would come out of there sometimes. I just like the the plain old cheese slices or some sausage sometimes, and Pequod's is always the right place for me. Pequod's a good spot. If you are going to go deep dish, though, I'm a personally a Lou Malnati's yeah. guy. I don't, I don't think he could go wrong there. But Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, appreciate the time, my man. We'll look forward to seeing you back in Indy soon. You got it. Thanks for having me, guys. Nick Friedel with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com.